Good morning again. It is good to be here and to have this privilege of opening God's Word with you. If you have a Bible, you can turn there to 1 John, the book of 1 John, chapter 1. And this morning, I want to talk to you about holiness. To be holy is to be consecrated or devoted to the Lord. So a a holy life is a life that reflects the character of God. God is good. So someone who is holy lives out goodness. God is kind. Someone who is holy lives out kindness. And a, a holy life is a life consecrated or devoted to the Lord in such a way that you live out the very character of God. So just like, for those of you with children, just like your children are inevitably a lot like you. So God's children are going to grow up to be a lot like God. That's holiness. But I also want to talk to you today about Christian assurance, about the confidence that you can have and should have, if you are a Christian, that you are a Christian. A Christian should be confident in his or her faith. We call that confidence, the confidence that you are a Christian, we call that Christian assurance. This sermon is about the relationship between our holiness and our assurance. And that relationship can be confusing because sometimes we wonder if we are genuinely saved. And sometimes we wonder how our life as Christians is related to our confidence that we are Christians. Now, no one becomes or stays a Christian because of his holiness. Holiness does not make one a Christian. If you are a Christian, it is not because you were or are holy. But if you are a Christian you will be holy. And what I just shared right there can be confusing, but it really is the teaching of John in this letter of 1 John. So what I want to do now is read to you a couple of paragraphs from this first chapter, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. I'll read all the way through chapter 2, verse 6, and then we'll walk away this morning with several lessons from these paragraphs. All right, listen now to 1 John, beginning in chapter 1, verse 5. Now this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, 
cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. This is how we are sure that we have come to know him, by keeping his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him, without keeping his commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. Now, this passage teaches many different things. And for the sake of time, I'm going to limit myself to sharing four things that are very important that we can learn from these paragraphs. Four things I want to focus on in the next few minutes. Number one, God is light. God is light. Look again at verse five. Now, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. John teaches us that God is light. We see this all over the Bible. This is not the first place that we come across this idea that God is is light. Uh, Back in the book of Exodus, we know that when God revealed himself to the people of Israel, he revealed himself as a pillar of fire. Well, what is a fire but a, a glowing, burning light? That's how God made himself known to the people of Israel. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul tells us to walk as children of light. Right? We're to walk as children of light. If God is your father, he is your light. And that means that God is pure and God is good and God is, is holy. Right? And notice how verse 5 ends. There is absolutely no darkness in him. Absolutely no darkness in him at all. You can imagine uh, how pure and holy this statement teaches us God is. We had the, the, the pleasure of going to the beach in Fujairah yesterday, and I got to see that, that chocolate sand. And that, that sand was filled with many different colors, isn't it? Uh, Colors like black and brown and beige and and white. Lots of different colors all mixed up to form this chocolate beach. But, But God, when you look at God, he is so pure and so holy. He's he's just light. You can imagine a, a, a sky entirely white without one speck of darkness. 
right? A beach entirely made up of one color of sand, pure, holy, without blemish. God is light. He's perfect all the way through. No one on earth is like that. That's why we needed to confess sin this morning, because we are imperfect. We are unholy. But God is not like that at all. God is is light. Holiness is who God is. That's what it means to say that God is light. Now, as Christians, you and I, when we come to our Bibles, are very interested in knowing how to live. Because life is hard. And we want to know how to get through the day. But very often in the Bible, God does not tell us how to live. He simply tells us who he is. And verse 5 is like that. God is light. There is absolutely no darkness in him. Uh, my trip to Fujera and to your church means I get to meet a lot of people who are new to me, people that I don't know at all. And so I have lots of questions for people when I meet them. Uh, where are you from? What do you do? What is your family like? How do you like Fujera? Well, imagine sitting down with God. God, what are you like? How would God answer that question? God, what are you like? God might say, well, I am three in one and one in three. And we would scratch our heads and be a little bit confused. And God might explain something of the Trinity, the fact that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and will always be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect community with one another. God might say, I am love. And we would all know something of what it means to love and to be loved. And God tells us, I am love. And God would say to you, if you asked him, God, what are you like? God would say, I am light. And there is absolutely no darkness in me. That's what God is like, pure and holy and absolutely good. And we need to remember that because our days are not pure and not holy and not absolutely good. There are problems that we face that we cannot fix. And on days like that, sometimes the only truth that we can cling to is the reality that God is light, which means God is good. And there is absolutely no darkness in him. We need to know that this morning. Before we can think about our own holiness, we need to be convinced in our heart that God is holy. God is light. That's how our passage begins. Now, there's another lesson that we have from this text. Number two, this one is a little bit harder, but I think if you're a Christian, you will understand very quickly 
what John is saying. But here's the second point. You can think you know God when you don't know God. You can think you know God when in fact you don't know God. You don't have fellowship with God. This truth is found in in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. But if you say, uh, I have fellowship with God, God is my father, God is my friend, God is my savior, I have fellowship with God. If you say with your mouth, I have fellowship with God, but you walk in darkness, John says you're lying. And, and I think you might not even know you're lying, right? You might not even really realize that you're not telling the truth. But John knows that it's possible for someone to say, I have fellowship with God, God is my father, but for him not to actually be your father. And the problem is for those who are saying, I have fellowship with God, when in reality, they are walking in darkness. Now, what does it mean to walk in darkness? Right now, that, that statement means more than that we sin. Everybody sins. Right? Christians sin. We sin every day and, and every week. We don't just confess our sins on Sunday morning when we gather together as the people of God. But if you're a Christian, I'm sure you confess your sin every day. Maybe even more than once a day. So to, to walk in the darkness must, be, must mean more than simply sinning because every Christian sins. Yes, but a Christian must not be walking in sin. He must not be persisting in sin. He must not be content in sin. Now, I asked Philbert this. No, I don't know that I asked Philbert. I guess I asked Jesse, are there cockroaches in Fujera? Do you know what a cockroach is? A cockroach is a big, ugly, brown bug. It's kind of a scary bug. It doesn't bite, but if there's one cockroach, it usually means that there's a million cockroaches not far away. So if you don't have them in Fujera, you are blessed. But where I'm from, I think where it's both hot and rainy, we have a lot of cockroaches. And when I see a cockroach in my house, I do something about it very quickly. If my wife sees a cockroach in our house, she tells me to do something very quickly. We don't stick around with cockroaches. We get rid of them as fast as we possibly can. When you discover sin in your life, you get rid of it as fast as you possibly can. Because if you sit around and live with your sin, you are walking in darkness. And that is as ridiculous 
as me sitting around in my home with the cockroaches. I can't do that. I must not do that. And we must not sit around and be content in our sin. Whether it's sin that we commit with our hands or how we're thinking or how we're feeling. We see a similar idea in 1 John chapter 2, verse 4. John often repeats himself because he wants us to, to get the idea. So he'll say the same thing again and again. In chapter 2, verse 4, John writes, The one who says, I have come to know him without keeping his commands. Right? That's someone walking in darkness. The one who says, I have come to know him without keeping his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Again, John is talking about those who claim to be Christians. They claim to know God, but they don't really know him because they don't obey him. They're walking in darkness. And Jesus who called himself the light of the world, warns us about the reality of those who identify themselves as followers of Christ who aren't really followers of Christ because they're not obeying him. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is a very difficult point for Christians to hear, to realize it's possible to think you're a Christian when really you're not a Christian. And I don't share these words with you to scare you or to frighten you. I think if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be scared You shouldn't be frightened, but you should be serious. You should be sober-minded. Sometimes we need something to wake us up because we fall asleep. And verses like this in 1 John serve that purpose. They wake us up. They humble us. I think of Luke chapter 18 where two men go to the temple to pray. And one man is a religious leader. And he's quite sure that he's a follower of God. And he walks into the temple and he begins to pray. And he prays to God. And he, he thanks God that he's such a good person. Now we call that self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Right? This is someone who looks at himself and says, I'm righteous. Look at me. I am righteous. self Righteousness. The other man who walked into the temple to pray was the tax collector. And in ancient Israel, during the time of the Roman Empire, the tax collectors were the lowest people. They were the people that everybody hated. Everybody knew they were sinners. And the tax collector walks into the temple and he won't even look up at God. He looks down and he says, God Be merciful to me, a sinner. We have to remember that we're sinners. 
we have to remember that we are not holy, but God is holy. We have to remember that it's, it's not enough to, to, to praise God, to say true things about God, to identify ourselves as the people of God, but we have to be humble, aware of our sin, and fighting our sin. So I have, a, I have three questions for you. Are you self-righteous like that Pharisee? Here's another question. Do you assume that you're a Christian because you come from a Christian family or were baptized at a young age? Here's another question. Is there a pattern of sin in your life, a cockroach, if you will, that you are ignoring, a way that you might be walking in darkness? I would say don't let that be you. Don't be a liar. Don't be someone who claims to have fellowship with God, but who's actually walking in darkness. You should declare war against your sin. You should declare war. Put a flag in the ground and say, no more. Are you going to be 100% victorious? No. Every Christian fails. But we fight. And we fight hard. But we don't just declare war. We examine our hearts to find out who the enemy is. Who are the What are the cockroaches? What are the sins in our lives that we need to fight against? We have to examine our hearts. It's not enough to declare war if you don't know who the enemy is. And it's not enough to say the enemy is sin in general. You have to identify the sin in your own life and in your own heart. And it's different for every individual Christian. And you know a great way to identify sin is to be part of a church and to be around people who know you, who love you, and who are willing to say hard things to you. Sometimes I'm not completely aware of ways I'm sinning. And God will bring a brother or sister into my life and they will graciously tell me ways that I need to grow as a Christian. That's the job of the church. That's one way we serve one another as Christians in a church. Be a part of Emmanuel Church. All right, that was the second point. It's possible to to think you're a Christian when you're really not. Now, my last two points are very similar. All right, here's the third point. Number three, holiness is the fruit of salvation. Holiness is the fruit, the product of salvation. So far, I've encouraged you to be holy, but that relationship between our our holiness and our salvation and our assurance can be confusing. And so I want to explain that holiness is the fruit of salvation. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now notice there, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. I was just talking about that a moment ago. That's being part of a local church, right? You have fellowship with the other members of the church. That's part of walking in the light. You've got all these friends, all these brothers and sisters to help you walk in the light. You have fellowship with one another. You're part of a church, part of a family of faith. But that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is what comes next when John says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. All right, that's the key verse. That's the most important thing. No one is made clean by being holy. No one is made clean in the eyes of God by doing good things, by like going to church, like giving to the offering, like taking the Lord's Supper. We're not, we're not made holy by doing good things. No, it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. Right? Holiness, reflecting the character of God, is the result of first being cleansed by the blood of Christ. That's what John wanted the, these early Christians to understand. We need to understand it. Because this is something we quickly forget. What would happen if I planted a rock in my backyard and watered that rock? Would anything grow if I planted a rock in my backyard? No, because rocks are dead. But if I planted a seed, a living seed in my backyard, and, and, and watered it and gave it sunshine, then a plant would grow. When Jesus died on the cross for sinners, he planted a seed of life in our heart. He waters that seed with his word, the Bible. And when that happens, I grow. Fruit is produced from me. By dying on the cross for our sins, Jesus changed us. By loving us and dying in our place, he made us not dead, but alive. Men and women who now grow in holiness because of his death, because of his blood. Look again at verse 5 of chapter 2. But whoever keeps his word, that's someone who walks in the light, right? Who's not walking in the darkness, but keeping the word. Notice John says, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. In other words, the love of God that saved the Christian through the cross of Christ and his, his spilt blood. That love is, is perfected. It is 
proven. It is shown to be a reality when we walk in the light, when we trust and obey as we just sung. But we are called to remain or to rest in this love. Look again at verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him, the love of God is perfected. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked, just as Jesus walked. That word there, remain. In some translations, it reads to abide. It means to rest. It means to trust. It means to rely on, right? Only those who remain, who rely on, who rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, only those who rest in the love of God, only those who are convinced that Jesus Christ is our only hope, they are the ones who walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Jesus says himself something similar. This is probably where John got it in John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains or abides or rests or trusts in me, he it is that bears much fruit. Now, this is where I think it gets confusing. On one hand, to fight sin in your life, you need to wage war. You need to pull out your bow and arrow and be on the lookout for sin and kill it before it kills you. That is work. That is labor. That is a fight. It is hard to fight sin when your manager is mean to you and treats you unfairly. You want to get angry. You want to say bad things. It's hard to fight sin, but we have to wage war against our sin. But notice, John says the fight for holiness is about more than a fight. It's about rest. It's about trust. It's about recognizing that Jesus already went to war for our sin. And so we need to rest, remain, abide, trust, rely on him. Are you resting today? Life is hard. Filled with all sorts of trials. Are you resting in the one who went through the greatest trial ever? Death on a cross for sinners like us? Are you resting? Believe in Christ. Trust Him. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who gives holiness. He's the one who helps you bear love and joy and peace and patience and 
kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. It doesn't finally come from you fighting. It comes from you resting. But both have to take place in the Christian life. We must fight, but we must rest. Are you resting today? I want to end with this point. It's very similar to the point that I just shared. But it's so important, I need to share it again in a slightly different way. So number four, I want to put it this way. Christian, holiness is not your savior. Holiness is not your savior. Now, what is a savior? Well, when we hear the word savior, we think of Jesus. That's appropriate. We're at church. But think a little bit more broadly for a moment. Your your savior is what you rely on to bring you hope. Your Savior is what you rely on to to give you hope. Uh, Imagine a a model on TV or or in a magazine or on the Internet. A model might rely on her good looks. She has good looks or he has good looks. And those good looks bring many good things. She, She trusts in her good looks. Or maybe an actor on TV is very, very good behind a camera. And that actor relies on. He trusts in his skills as an actor. Maybe an athlete, a great football player, relies on his speed, relies on his strength. Speed and strength are are his hope. For the model, good looks might be her savior. For the athlete, speed and strength might be his savior. For the actor, skill might be his savior. Do you know what I think happens for a lot of Christians? I think a lot of Christians, sadly, begin to think that holiness is their savior. Over time, they begin to look at the things they do, that they come to church early. They give faithfully. They don't get angry when their boss is mean. And over time, they begin to think, holiness is my savior. This is so important that throughout the Bible, God is warning us against making the wrong thing our Savior. Let me give you an example right from the Bible. The people of Israel lived in the land of Egypt. God saved them out of the land of Egypt and he brought them to the promised land. But on the way from Egypt to the promised land, where it was very difficult... Sometimes there wasn't a lot of food. They're always worried about an enemy attack. And when times got tough, the people said, we want to go back to Egypt. We're relying on Egypt. And truth be told, throughout the entirety of Israel's history, they often wanted Egypt to help. For some reason, whenever things got hard for Israel, they started relying on Egypt. We could go back to Egypt. We can get horses from Egypt. We can get chariots from Egypt. Egypt is great. And God was very angry with them. And God sent prophets to the people of Israel. And the prophets said to Israel, stay.
Stop it. Stop leaning on Israel. The prophet said Israel is like a cane or a staff. Have you ever leaned on a stick? Put your weight on a stick? Right? A staff? The prophet said Egypt is like a staff with a pointy top. If you lean on Egypt, Egypt is going to hurt you. Don't lean on Egypt, God says. Lean on me. What do we do as Christians? What do we do when life gets hard to stand up, to have confidence, to be secure? Some of us, many of us, I think all of us at times lean on our own holiness. God, look at me. Look at what I do to serve my church. Look at what I do to serve my family. God, I've been, I've been pure with my eyes this week. God, I've given my money away this week. I've helped my family overseas this week. God, I, I must be okay. And God says, don't lean on your holiness. If you lean on your holiness you will be broken. Only lean on me. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It was read earlier in the service. If we confess our sins, right? That's, that's leaning on God. What are you doing when you confess your sin? You're, you're putting Egypt away. You're putting your own holiness away. And you're leaning on God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There will be times when you are not holy. Lean on God. Lean on Christ. He is faithful to forgive. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. John doesn't want you to sin. God doesn't want you to sin. He, he wants you to fight sin with your bow and arrow. Get rid of the cockroaches all the time. Fight, fight, fight. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous one. He himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only ours, but also for those of the whole world. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus represents us in the court of God's law. Jesus is our lawyer. Jesus, God the Son, stands before God the Father and he says... I died for him. I suffered for her. Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is the one who absorbed the wrath of God, the anger of God that we deserve for our sin. Jesus propitiated God's wrath. He absorbed God's wrath. He took God's wrath for us who are unholy. 
so that in Christ we might be declared holy. But only if we rest in the good news of Jesus Christ. Lean on the staff of your own holiness and you will never know the grace of God. But lean on the staff of Christ, lean on the cross, and you will never be condemned. If you are not a Christian, I want to invite you, in the name of the Lord, to turn away from your sins and to trust in Christ this very morning. God loves to save those who are resting in him. Turn to Christ today if you've never done it before. But my message from 1 John isn't primarily for non-Christians. It's for Christians. And I think there are fundamentally two things you need to remember as you walk away today. To be a Christian... is to fight your sin with everything you've got. And to be a Christian is to rest in Christ who fought for you first. You have to rest before you can ever fight or you will never know the holiness of God. Heavenly Father, we praise you for being a great and a righteous and a holy God. And I pray for the saints of Emmanuel Church Fujera. Oh, Lord, would you bless them? Would you help them to rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ and not in their own works, in their own goodness? Would you help them to fight each and every day for holiness so that they would not ever think that it's okay to walk in darkness. Father, may our confidence be rooted in the cross of Christ. Help us to follow you each and every day. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.